Hello and welcome to Sir Thriver Unleashed. I'm Reno Romano, your host and a Sir Thriver and advocate for survivors of child sexual abuse and sexual assault. This show is all about the endless positive possibilities of Sir Thriving after sexual abuse. So let's get started with today's program. Welcome to Sir Thriver Unleashed. This show is all about helping survivors release the shame of the crimes committed against them, help them take back their power and become an empowered Sir Thriver. And I'm so excited today. My special guest is Suzanne Azaza, and she is an educator on the topic of incest and sexual violence since 2014. She is the founder of the Sexual Assault Advocacy Network, S-A-A-N for short, and the creator of IncestAware.org, a grant writer, consultant, author, and outspoken advocate. She is a survivor of incest, and I am so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, for having me. I'm so glad to be here, too. Oh, I was looking at all your uh, website for uh, the Sexual Assault Advocacy Network, SAN. Did you pronounce it SAN? Yeah, we call it SAN. SAN for short. And the um, incestaware.org. You're doing so many wonderful things, Suzanne. Tell me just briefly a little bit about you and, and you are a sort of thriver of incest. If you would just share and... Why and and how are you decided to start the healing journey? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So I'm a father daughter incest survivor, and uh, I didn't tell anybody about it when I was a kid. But when I was 19 years old, I learned that my uh, my perpetrator was abusing someone else, and I sort of had a light bulb moment where, and I I imagine other survivors can identify. You, you don't necessarily have the capacity to help yourself or even the wherewithal to help yourself in a crisis. But when someone else experiences it, then sometimes we show up. And that's exactly what happened. And he was ultimately convicted on four counts. Um, and I really didn't do anything with that experience um, for about almost 20 years. Um, I just sort of buried it. And I started my healing journey in my early 20s. I spent a lot of years trying to kind of climb out of what a lot of us uh, deal with, with trauma, which is, you know, low self-esteem and Mm -hmm. all sorts of, um, you know, addictive behaviors and things that we take on um, as the result of our trauma. And so I worked my way out of that into my 30s. And then about seven years ago, I had another light bulb moment where I realized I wanted to start using my experience to help other people and share my story. I didn't know what, but I I just had this feeling, this overwhelming sense, like I need to be doing this. Um, And so I found my way into telling my story. And of course, you know, many advocates will relate to this. You you start out in one way and it sort of all snowballs and the tumbleweed begins to accumulate. And then I was doing, you know, conferences and talks and writing. And it really began to to explode. And um, uh, that brings me to today. I've started a, a couple of initiatives that I'm happy to tell you about. But I think the, the reason why I do this is I want to help other people. But my real focus is on prevention, because mm. there's so much we can be doing to prevent people from being victims of, of family violence, interpersonal violence, but we don't we don't do them. And so I feel that my mission is to be a role model for other survivors who want to come forward and be advocates, but also to teach people about what they can be doing to prevent sexual violence. Good for you. Good for you. We And we need that. We need more of that. I love um, on your incest where you say, learn about it, talk about it, end it. And that is so important. You know, my advocacy work right now with the podcast and YouTube is to focus on Sir Thrivers who have maybe not received help yet to get help, get healed and get happy. So I'm so glad that we're talking about prevention too. And when did you, you're, you are the founder of SAN. When did you 
or develop the program. Yeah, where did that come into being? Well, yeah. well I was doing so much. Um, and every day I was involved in some form of advocacy, in addition to my full-time job and my other life that, that I have. And I felt uh, really lonely, sort of lonely in what I was doing. I knew other people doing what I was doing. But I wasn't part of this organization or group of people where I could share what I was doing, ask for help, ask people questions if they knew about something that I perhaps didn't. I really wanted that. And so I uh, poked around a little bit, tried to find a place where I could be part of something like that. And I couldn't I couldn't find anything. Mm. Um, And then after Me Too hit. There were so many people like me coming forward. And I said, this is absolutely the right time. So I did what a lot of people do, which is I started a Facebook group. And Raina, I figured 25, 50 people will just all chat. We'll get to know each other, inspire each other. And within a couple of months of starting the group, we had a thousand people. And so I realized it is not just me looking to chat and get to know people and get support. It's all these other people. And so um, a year, almost a year ago, Today, um, the group had become so popular. People were asking for all sorts of things. They wanted trainings. They wanted events. They wanted to network. And so I gathered about 12 people together and we had Zoom meetings like, you know, we're talking now and asked ourselves, should we create an organization? Should we be do? Is this big enough and worth it? And we all said yes. And so we created an organization out of it. Um, and, and the website for that is sandcommunity.org if anyone's interested in checking it out. Um, but it's a what an experience. I finally feel like I have a base. I have a, a, a people. And for incest survivors, it's really important to be surrounded by people who know you and support you because many of us have lost our family. Some people have lost their entire family mm-hmm. um, to, to become an advocate. Um, so it's been so important for me to start and maintain that group. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I've just started a new group called Sir Thriver Unleashed, and it talks about Sir Thriving after sexual abuse. And so it's a very small group. If you're listening, please go to Facebook, Sir Thriver Unleashed, and I'd love to have you there too, Suzanne. So your advocacy work, I don't know why I have such a problem with that word, because I'm an advocate, and working on some things here in Florida, um, Two years ago, I testified for the elimination of the statute of limitations for child rape. And now we're working on um, getting the rape kits for Florida, the backlog. And so that that doesn't get we get that up to date. So doing advocacy work. You know, Suzanne, a lot of people, when they get healed and they feel better, they're not sure what they want to do. And some people don't want to get involved with the advocacy work, but they can do a lot of volunteering, too. Would you agree with that? I do. And, you know, the more I do this work, the more I realize that there's subtle and sometimes blatant pressure put on survivors of trauma to sort of carry a movement forward, to be public. I mean, I've had many people say, I'm sorry, I just don't want to share my story in public. And I say, there is nothing to be sorry. You have no responsibility to be anything to anyone. Um, Your responsibility is to heal and live your best life. And in turn, that will be like a ripple effect of positivity. Um, So I don't think anyone has to do that. But what I find with many people is that it helps release something inside of them because particularly for incest survivors and other child survivors, the, the pressure that's put on you not to share the shame that is placed mm. on you by the perpetrators is something you carry. And as you age, you think, Oh, I'd age out of this. And I, you know, I bloom mm-hmm. and, and put that all behind me, but no, you know, we often don't. And so telling a story is like telling the world, I'm no longer going to be held in chains. And so I encourage people to do it, but they have to feel it's right. They shouldn't push themselves into it at at all. It's got to feel organic and feel like something that will bring them to an even better place. That's a great point. Absolutely great point because everybody's healing is completely different. I know with my TEDx talk, when I, I talked about my memoir, His Puppet No More, and I had a friend design the cover and he was so excited. He told his mother 
And, and then he told her about what my memoir was going to be. And she was in her seventies and started crying and said, you know, that happened to me too. And, but she finally told her story to her son and then her doc, her, her doctor and her migraine headaches started going away that she had had for years. So I encourage people, and I'm sure you do too, by telling our stories, but we have to be careful who we tell our stories to. And we don't have to write a book unless you want to. (laughs) You don't have to start a foundation unless you want to. And you don't have to go on Oprah Winfrey unless you want to. But I think, yeah, you're right about the shame. And this is something that's so important to me. I grew tired of being ashamed of a crime I did not commit. And they are feeling that too, but the shame is forced on us. And then we are the ones responsible for fixing what they broke is what I like to say. Yeah. But, and that's different for everybody. So I'm glad that you brought that up because we shouldn't force them to one, we shouldn't force them to remain silent Two, We shouldn't force them to speak until they're ready to speak. Wouldn't you agree with that? Obviously. I do. I do. I'm so with you. I think there's a little caveat, a little asterisk I would put on that. When we know that someone is being abused, and especially if the person is a child, there becomes an added responsibility to make sure that that kid is protected. So if we are being abused by somebody, then that um, is totally our experience to handle as we need to. But if we know that person is abusing someone else, it brings us into another realm of responsibility. And this is, there's not a lot of agreement on this in the advocacy community. Many people say no one should report unless they are 100% comfortable with it. But from my vantage point, acknowledging that that's very real and valid, from my vantage point is I see cases of perpetrators who are molesting sometimes hundreds of people. And you say, where's the paper trail on these people? You know, why, why do we, we not know about their history? And very often we do know about their history, but a lot of the problem is the lack of reporting. So if people right. can report, and you don't always have to report to a police officer, you can report to someone you know, you can report to your employer. I mean, wherever, as long as you let that secret out and you tell someone who will in turn carry it forward for you. That is the the highest calling when when especially when a child is being abused and many you know in my case you know my mother never acknowledged what was happening uh, she stayed with my father still uh, together today and I really wish that she had had the sort of information that we have today and resources because I really think that she didn't feel that she had the ability to do anything about it. And so when I go and I share my story, I encourage people that talk to others, whether you're a survivor or you see that someone else might be at risk, just communicate because other people will rally around and they will help you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so important. And, you know, um, with incest, it, uh, there's a lot of other family members involved. Fortunately, I was one of the fortunate ones that my mother believed me when I told her my other siblings rallied around me. And I, when I was in group with six other women, I found that that wasn't the, the case, unfortunately. And it sounds like it wasn't for you. Maybe you were believed, but um, there wasn't the help or support there from the family dynamic. I'm so glad to hear what you're doing with San and the incest aware. So you're working on prevention. Do you think that with your ad- advocacy work, has it or has it helped in your healing process doing all of this work? That's a great question. So I'll, I'll use incest aware as an example of how it's helped me. Um, last summer when I was so busy with building San and, and doing talks and all of that work, I started to feel inside that there was something that was not authentic. And mm-hmm. I kept feeling this, this thing and I didn't know what it was. And then eventually I realized I was not using the word incest. I was not identifying the type of abuse that I had suffered. And because of that, people did not really know the scope of what happened to me. And years ago, I thought it doesn't really matter. But 
incest is one of those parts, one of those types of sexual assault that people are still not talking. They are in France. If any, you know, at the time of this recording, there's there's a huge movement in France to address the incest problem. We haven't had that here. So I, you know, I remember it was the middle of the summer. I went online and I said, I'm gonna see if there's any any organization out there that's just focused on incest. Maybe I could be a part of that. And I did a Google search and I came up with links to porn sites. I came up with, you know, articles advocating for it to be legal. And I said, imagine my 19-year-old self going online, looking for help and seeing that. I said, this is unacceptable. And right then and there, I decided I'm going to create a website that is exclusively focused on incest. And as I developed that site, I mean, it's for survivors, it's for people who help survivors and for activists who want to get more involved in prevention. I, as I, I built it and I worked with other people, I found that I was able to tap into my own experience, my own personal experience on a deeper level. Because here I was writing pages about survivor healing and the incest dynamic and these things that I hadn't really explored in this work yet. And so as that site, it was like a birth, you know, and I, I launched it in um, October of 2020. So it's been up for about four months now. And when I launched it, I just sort of collapsed and I realized this was a metamorphosis for me. I feel like, you know, coming out of the chrysalis <laughs> of right. the butterfly, I, I have really embraced the term incest in terms of my survivorship. And I know mm. that people do not like to use that term. They stay away from that term as much as possible. And I can understand why, because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what incest actually is. Um, yep. There's a lot of shame attached to it. So I'm trying to bust that, you know, that shame and bust those myths. So people understand the vast majority of incest is incest abuse kids. Good for you. Bravo. And I understand what you're saying because it took me a long time to say incest. I said child sexual abuse, um, which is horrific. But incest, that took me, I, so I, I totally get that. And, and other survivors will get that. It was a hard thing to accept. And now I say incest, incest, incest. I am not ashamed of it. We didn't commit these crimes, but I understand how that shame is piled upon us as though we are to blame for this. It is our fault. Uh, it is because of us. It happened. And all those, all those things that they tell us, especially, you know, the perpetrators telling us. And then later years, our, our little voice telling us it was our fault. It, we are to blame, which is so not true. So I'm glad that you're doing that because we need that incest awareness. And you're right. It is, you know, when I was doing my research for my TEDx talk, um, you know, one in out of every three, they estimate two out of every three abuses go unreported. So um, it's underreported, whether it's incest or or not. And we need to start talking about it more. I'm just so honored to have you on here today because with San and then now the incest aware, I'm so glad that you're doing that. Are you finding a lot of pushback from the work that you do? Are you finding more doors opening and people willing to help? Largely people are willing to help. I um, I had a meeting the other night. It was the first meeting that I had ever planned and ever been part of of just incest prevention uh, survivor advocates. I'd never been a part of actually any meeting that just focused on incest the first time, 2021, the first time I'd ever been involved in that. And I planned one and we had about 30 people come and I'm looking at the Zoom gallery view and I'm seeing all these faces and I'm realizing we want to come out of the woodwork and connect with other people. Um, and after the meeting, we were just talking conceptually and talking about healing and afterwards, the the overwhelming response was, I needed that. I needed that. And so um, people are offering, you know, to help. They want to start this. They want to do that. So I really think that that fire is lit and that those um, that that catalyst has happened. You know, interestingly, the only pushback I've received for this work has been from the my larger family. Basically, my family. I have good relationships with some of my family members who have supported me. Other family members have not. 
Um, even though my father's convicted sex offender, it's interesting when even when something <laughs> someone has been convicted, there are people who still actually deny it. Um, and, and that's the case uh, for me. But I do feel lucky because the majority of my family, they may not understand why I do this. I think most people assume you go through a traumatic event and you just never talk about it. Why don't you just bury it? Why don't you just move on? But for some of us, we don't want to do that. And I think my family may not understand it all, but they support it to differing degrees. And so I think that there would be many more of me out there if families would rally around and support their work, their 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 public work. Um, but I know people who have been completely rejected from their family of origin, no yeah. contact with anyone in their family. And actually to them, <laughs> It's a little freeing because then they don't have to worry about what their family thinks of them. Yep. Yep. That's so true. So true. Well, you know, I think the shame um, that this could happen in our family, this doesn't happen in our family. This happens to other people. It doesn't happen in our family and it happens to every, it can happen to everybody, no matter, you know, the socioeconomic of the family, um, the race, whatever, uh, it happens. And I, people, the, I think the, the work that you're doing, Suzanne, when we become more aware, people are going to be shocked at the prevalence of it. Mm-hmm. Because yes, my mother was from the World War II era where you just sucked it up, you, you shoved it under the rug and you don't talk about these things. You don't put your business out on the street as if in a tabloid, right? And nowadays we are talking about it. And I think the help of the internet with the Me Too movement, and you may have experienced this too, but I saw a lot of people on my Facebook feed and my Twitter feed, hashtag Me Too, hashtag Me Too. And then it was incest and, and Me Too, or it was a coach, a music teacher. And, you know, the, the definition of incest, they, they're kind of lumping, um, coaches and music teachers kind of in there of family friends, family members, because we, we bring them into our family and we trust these people, but I'm just seeing more and more people. I was, I was shocked to see that uh, how many hashtag me too was going through my feed. Did you experience the same thing? I did in terms of coming out as a survivor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I did. And I found that most people would identify themselves as a, a certain type of survivor. Many people mm-hmm. would say, I'm just a survivor. And I don't want to minimize that and say just, but they would come out and say, I'm a survivor. Right. And other people would tell their story. Um, I saw some very explicit stories. It was like the person was just, you know, ready to just share and just shared it all on Facebook. <laughs> And then there's there's others who are not quite comfortable giving any level of detail. And so um, I think some of the challenge with saying I'm an incest survivor for people is that it becomes very specific. It identifies them as growing up in a family in which there was this dysfunction, right? And I think that when we think about our family, we want to feel proud of our family. Mm. We want people to look up to us. And I think there's a lot of judgment that's made about people who experience trauma particularly at home, that there's something flawed with them. They're never going to heal from it. They're ruined, you know, and I've, yep. I've heard elements of this over the last seven years. And, you know, I, I mean, I say we all have the potential to heal. It does not look the same for everyone. My number one piece of advice for people who are really struggling, well, two pieces of advice. The first one is always, if you're comfortable, get a good therapist, start mm-hmm. working your way through it. And number two, surround yourself with people like you (laughs) or people like me, people who will give you something to strive for, give you hope, give you optimism, encourage you. If you're surrounded by your family, a dysfunctional family system, it is going to be really difficult to heal. So sometimes stepping out of that and creating a new community, a new family is what people need to do to move forward with their healing. Yeah. And, um, I gave a TEDx talk in 2017. It's called Healing from Sexual Abuse Can Start with One Word. And I talk about how we must make telling safe. And we also 
um, when someone comes to us to listen without interruption or judgment, and if you're not sure what to say, be honest. I, I don't know what to say to you, friend. You know, you and I do because of our, our background. But if somebody, a family member or friend, I'm not sure what to say, but I will help you find the resources you need. We need that. And, and you don't need to say anything else. We just need that kind of support because people are going to heal in their own time. And healing looks different from everybody. And there's no right or wrong. This is what I like to tell to survivors. You have to do what's best for you. What worked for me may not work for you. And I like to tell people, I went through two therapists before I found the third. And it was a group with two therapists, a male and a female therapist and six other women in this group. And I absolutely adored. And I was in there for about two years. So I think that's important too, Suzanne. You'd probably agree with this. Mm-hmm. That if you go to somebody and do ask for therapy and get into it, if you're not comfortable with that therapist, find somebody else. Because this isn't about offending the therapist. This is about you and getting the correct help that you need to help you move forward. That is complete. I am that's so spot on. Um to your earlier point about not knowing what to say, I think we are often afraid. We don't know how to respond, particularly with a, a kid, if a child yeah. to us. And I tell people, you know, you don't have to say the perfect thing because the survivor on the other side is actually not looking for the perfect thing. What do we want to hear when we disclose? I believe you. Because what is the thing that most people hear <laughs> or have historically when they've come forward against Harvey Weinstein, Larry Nasser, this person abused me. What do people often say? I don't believe you. So we say, I believe you. I'm so sorry that happened. You didn't deserve it. Um, It's not your fault. Nothing you did brought it on. I am going to be here every step of the way to help you. So even if you you, you write those words down and remember them, versions of that will help bring out the support that the person needs, right? Because they don't need a quick fix. Chances are what a survivor is looking for is some validation and sometimes a hand. And yep. just to know that somebody understands them and, you know, validates what they've been through. Because so many times, I mean, many times people, incest survivors and other survivors come forward and multiple people don't believe them or mm. some people don't help them. Sometimes kids are not helped. And so really important that we suspect something's going on, that we ask. And if we learn something's going on, that we, we reinforce, you did nothing wrong. I'm going to help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, survivors want to be heard. They need to get it out. They need to speak it. Not like they have to say it over and over. Some people do. Some people are never going to shut up like you and I, thank goodness, (laughs) doing our work. Um, But we want to be validated. And when I went on Oprah in 2009, I, I... People think I'm crazy, but for two years before I went on Oprah, I just knew I was going to be on her show. I didn't know how or when or what it looked like. I just knew that I was going to be on the show. And and I know now why. It's because I wanted to share my story. I knew that I wasn't alone, but I didn't know how to reach out for those other survivors. And I wanted to be heard and I wanted to be validated. Because I know that Oprah is a survivor too. And so being able to share our stories, we need that validation that it's not our fault, that we want to be believed. And so I'm so thrilled to have you here today with the work that you're doing. And, you know, can you share a couple of things of maybe what you did to help you through your healing process that some other survivors may be able to, it may be able to help them. Sure. You know, every, every, every journey is different. What I learned for me, um, a major impediment to my healing was my refusal to do self-care, my refusal wow. to listen to my needs, right? Because growing up, it was never about what I needed. It was always about what someone else needed. And so I grew up with this sense of 
paying attention to me is just selfish. You know, like I don't deserve that. that that's I no Right. And so it wasn't until I really got into maybe my thirties where I started to pay attention. You know, how do I talk to myself? How do I treat myself? Do I give myself a break? Do I keep going, going, going and never stopping to rest to pay attention and ask myself, how are you doing? You know, so I've had to, and I still, I mean, please, it is not a perfect thing. I am still working on self-care, but I found for me, that's given me a space to stop and say, what's happened? You know, what's going on right now? I think doing meditation, mindfulness, and yoga has also been really huge. Um, as survivors, sometimes we get really disconnected from our bodies. Mm-hmm. We don't like them. I mean, many of us don't like our bodies anyway, but even when you add trauma into it, there can be some real like self-loathing and I found getting into a yoga studio, just stopping doing meditation allowed me to tap into what was going on to me physically. Right. And so it, it slowed my mind down. It gave me a chance to observe and gave me a chance to let those parts out that really needed to be healed. Um, And then the third strategy, I mentioned it earlier, a good therapist. I, um, and I still see one. I mean, I've been seeing therapists for probably two decades now. And I am big on therapy. It's not just for survivors, it's for everyone. <laughs> My therapist from the very beginning said, I'm re- I'd really like to work with you on the element of shame because her experience 30 years in the business was that shame kept incest survivors from moving forward in their life. The shame would just paralyze you. And so she took me through some healing processes that helped me to identify how shame was impacting my relationships, my choices. And that was so, uh, wow, that was so impactful. It just opened up a whole new world for me that shame didn't have to take me right down, right? I'm going to feel it, but I can move through it and and keep my wits about me, you know? (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. Shame I, I'm working on my online masterclass for survivors after they've gone through counseling, but still struggling with confidence, self-esteem. And it's all based around shame because I found that for myself, even though I had gone through counseling, I, I was, I thought I was healed and I don't need any more work and I'm okay. But then after a while, I, I noticed how my self-confidence was going straight to the toilet. And self-esteem. And so you talked about you're still seeing a therapist. I have done tapping. I've done hypnosis. I've done a lot of journaling. Didn't used to journal. I Affirmations. So there's a lot of things that I'm putting into my program. And it's called Surthriving After Sexual Abuse. Because we do need to continue with the self-care as you talked about. And self-care is not selfish, which we hear that a lot nowadays. Self-care is not selfish, but we don't feel worthy of that self-care. And we didn't for a long time. And I like what you said about being disconnected from our bodies too. A lot of people do start yoga or writing therapy, talk therapy, group therapy, Try anything and everything and just keep going. What I've done, you know, I went through two years of counseling, like I said, and then I thought, okay, I'm healed. But I wasn't completely because I hadn't let go of the shame. And so I'm working on that in my uh, masterclass program that's going to be online because I think it's very important. The shame does kind of um, sneak up on us. And it's hard to let it go. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. And I think there's there's sort of the sense like you go through a sexual assault and then you heal and then it's done, right? But if you mm-hmm. think about other traumatic events that happen to people, like a terrible car wreck or losing a child, we don't expect that people ever really move on in the sense in terms of forgetting it. It's not impacting their lives. It, it doesn't you know, bother them anymore. We don't expect a parent who has lost a child to be the same for their, mm. the rest of their life. But somehow with sexual trauma, I think there's, there's some pressure to say, I'm healed. I'm done. And, you know, I've had one person tell me, I think I'm a hundred percent healed. 
everyone else I've ever talked to about this topic has said it is just a continuation. You know, I mean, anything we experience in life, there is no set point. We move through things, we cope with things, we learn, we become wise, but we shouldn't expect ourselves to forget and to never have an impact from something, especially for me, being molested as a child. I mean, that's one of the most traumatic, distressful things a kid can go through. So to expect myself, you know, at this age to be like, I'm done with all that, it's not going to happen. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't get to a really high functioning place in your life where you're positive and you're achieving and you're enjoying life. Um, it's always there, though. Yeah, and you can get there. And it, it and it depends on, you know, you get to decide, do I still want to go to therapy? Do I want to journal? Do I need, um, do I want to use tapping? Do I want to use hypnosis? Do I, you know, what I found, Suzanne, is that I have friends who have never experienced the trauma that you and I have, and they're still going through self, um, education, continuing education, self-help to, to better themselves, to keep growing, you know, and they're at all different ages. So whether it's trauma or not, I think living this life is to become the best version of who we are is so imperative and we shouldn't allow our trauma to stop us from becoming that person, from becoming our potential. I just posted a podcast of another survivor. Her name is Whitley Rogers. And she says that she grew through, let's grow through what we go through. And I I thought that was so, yeah, I, I love that motto. That was her motto, grow through what you go through. And there's nothing for us to be ashamed about. And when people, I, I have this perspective that I use and, and people have said, well, don't let your past define you. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. The crime committed against me doesn't define me, but my courage, strength and tenacity to persevere is what defines me. So I am not ashamed of my past because by saying that, when people don't know what to say, and Brene Brown calls that uncomfortable sympathy, when they don't know what to say, but I want people to know I'm not ashamed of my past. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And am I completely healed? I don't know. I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm human working on become the best version possible of myself. And whether that means I'm healed or not, so be it. I don't stress about it anymore. And what I, and I think you'll agree with this. What I wanted to stress to other survivors, it's not a race to get healed. It's not a race, but give yourself some grace and space to get to, because you're right where you need to be to get to where you always, if you can dream it, you're on your way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and there's a quote that has helped me for so many years. Eleanor Roosevelt said, do one thing every day that scares you. And as you talk about, you know, moving through at your own pace, I found that one thing that really helped me was to confront fears that arose from my trauma. And it's one of those things, you know, that the more you expose yourself to something you're afraid of, it becomes less and less gripping for you. Mm. It stings you less. And so I started following that practice and I still do that now. And after I've done my thing for the day, I'm like, done, (laughs) did that one thing today. And it's really helped me move forward and realize that, you know, I'm never going to get up every day and not have something affect me from my past. I accept that. That is fine. There's no need for me to be perfect every day. But what I want to do is I want to continue to challenge myself every day to do what you're saying, be that best person, be, you know, the best version of yourself that you can. And also to, to accomplish the things, to do the things in my life that I want to do. And for some people, that's find a partner, find an intimate partner. Many times survivor, we don't talk about that a lot. And we really should. That's a whole show for you right there, Raina. That's a whole show. Definitely. (laughs) Sexual intimacy post, you know, assault that for some people, actually having a successful romantic relationship is the number one thing that they're facing. And so we all have those things that we face, right? 
small steps and, you know, dealing with those fears in a, on a small level every day, I think bring us to the point we want to be. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that, um, Suzanne, can you share one thing or maybe a couple of different things? If you find yourself, you know, you talked about getting out of bed and you're not perfect every day and, and it's not supposed to be perfect every day. We are human. If you find yourself slipping back, what do you do to maybe acknowledge that and pull yourself back out of that and, and then, you know, regroup and head down that positive road? Oh, God, that happens more times than I even like want to admit right here on this podcast. Um, and if you talk to my partner, you know, they would tell you that, you know, oh, yeah, she's constantly slipping back. I think first and foremost, self-compassion, man. I mean, self-love, acknowledging that this is part of the road. This isn't a failure. This isn't weird and unusual. This is what everyone goes through. We're always slipping back. And actually, sometimes I think that helps with moving forward just to acknowledge that you're not a failure. Because I think especially for people who are like high achieving types and, and really want to go out into the world and be somebody and do something. Trauma gets in the way of that. I mean, every major decision I've made in my life, Raina, has been impacted by my abuse. Mm. I had so many dreams for myself that I never accomplished because I just didn't, I, I couldn't, you know, I had I, substance abuse and just self-loathing and all sorts of destructive behaviors. I just couldn't get there, right? But having the self-compassion and self-love, it's fine. I'm going to stay here. I'm in a lull. It's good. What do I need to get through it? How do I examine it? What's happening? Because sometimes it's something that just triggers. I mean, you could be out at a supermarket and someone does or says something and all of a sudden for days, you're in a tizzy. It can set you off. And so stopping and exploring that, my therapist says, you know, no judgment, just curiosity. No judgment, just curiosity. Be curious. I like that. What's happening, Suzanne? Why are you... Why are you doing this or why are you feeling this way? No judgment. And I tell you, like in the past, sometimes I would be caught in the cycle of beating myself up. And now sometimes it's rapid. It's a, it's a quick process making my way through it and, and moving on. So, but it happens all the time. I'm constantly slipping back, you know, even doing this work and being a public person. Right. It's the same for you. Or you think like, here I am, public person. I should, you know, I, I'm, I should be beyond this. No. <laughs> and <not>. everybody thinks, <laughs> yeah, because of what you're doing. And I have the podcast, the YouTube, and I'm, I'm putting this online program together. And I speak and I teach. Um, I'm not perfect. And I have my days where I don't want to get out of bed. And <laughs> I don't, I'm with you. And th I think this is a great point that you brought up, Suzanne. We shouldn't beat ourselves up, acknowledge where we are, give ourselves some grace and space and don't beat yourself up. Just know and acknowledge, okay, I'm having a crappy day. What can I do to take care of me right this moment? Because we tend to take care of so many other people. We, we do put ourselves on the back burner and we need to. Uh, you know, I encourage people to stop beating themselves up. And I used to do the same thing. And I used to self-sabotage. And I find myself slipping back into self-sabotage mode sometimes. Self-sabotage can look like procrastination. It could look like, you know, having two glasses of wine instead of one. Or it could be having, you know, doing those drugs. Or for me, years ago, it was... Uh, uh, sex addiction and too much drinking and drugs. But I knew that that's not what I wanted, wanted to, or how I wanted to live my life. So I want to tell survivors, you know, be gentle with yourself. No judgment. I like that you said that. No judgment. Just curiosity. I like that. Yeah. Just curious. Why am I going through this right now? Why am I feeling this way? What can I do to make myself feel better? Because there is a, an emotional level, an optimum zone and a negative zone. And I'm putting a lot of this in my new program. And I've had uh, some test drivers go through the course and I'm getting some great feedback for it. So I'm so glad to have you here. I could talk with you all day long. <laughs> we may have to come back. You said you're an author too. Um, 
Do you have any books that you've written or is it mainly blogs or what? So um, I started out writing a series of um, online articles for this publication that is no longer um, around. And I started that just as a, a form of therapy. And someone approached me and I said, wonderful, I'll write on all. Di-. And so I started writing on all different topics like sex trafficking and the abuse of males, which is something we don't talk about enough and all sorts of topics and really found it was therapeutic. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I like writing. Um and then once I launched the incestaware.org uh, website, someone came to me with an idea to start a blog and we started talking about it. And I just launched it about a month ago. Um, and if folks want to check it out, it's incestaware.org slash blog. And we have um, guest writers come in and submit their work. As, as long as you're an incest survivor and talking about incest, you, you know, we, we use those articles, we do those posts and, I'm loving it because it's not just me writing. Now it's about me inspiring and encouraging other people to write. And so That's I think wonderful. my efforts are actually like a lot of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. You're not just doing it for yourself anymore. Now you're a catalyst for other people to do it. And, and I find for me, that's even more gratifying. I don't need to have the name. I don't need to have a book and everyone know that I'm an author and this and that. But to know that people have been inspired and I've given them a way to move forward and get their article out there or interview them on a show, you know, those are, that is more meaningful to me because I think the impact can even be greater. So right, right. that's the type of writing. I haven't written a book. I actually have no, I've heard from people writing a book. It's like having, you know, being pregnant for months and months and months, you know, you're just like, what is this over? (laughs) Exactly. It took me three and a half years to write my book, His Puppet No More. And I'm thinking about writing another one. Uh, but I, um, I've never given birth. I've, I don't have children. So that's, I gave birth to that. When I, fin- <laughs> the day I finished that book, I'm like, oh, I just, I collapsed. It was, it was, I like giving birth. So good for you. That's great. And so incest aware, um, I would love to come on and be a guest blogger. What can you tell us what we need to do to do that? Because I found that. I didn't write or keep a journal for years, but when I started writing my book, oh, it was so therapeutic. I couldn't believe how releasing writing was. What are the um, things that you're looking for for your guest writers? Um, we're looking for people who, you know, have some basic writing skills, of course. Um, we're looking for people that, similar to your show, it's not a space for people to, to tell their abuse stories or to talk about, per se, all of their own healing, their whole healing process, but more to look at incest from a conceptual point of view. Mm-hmm. And we have articles from people who are talking about reparenting, you know, the inner child, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Our latest post. Um, I, I did one uh, recently about, I'm a huge fan of saunas, and I was in the sauna several months ago, and I had I was at war with my feelings, you know, as I'm sweating, I'm like feeling all the stuff come out of me. And so I wrote a post about that, about how survivors were often fighting our own feelings. And so sort of looking at healing and prevention and awareness from a conceptual way, not so much telling the details of everything we've been through, but if people are interested, they can go to incestaware.org and um, we have a contact form. They can fill out that contact form and will follow up. Um, but we're definitely interested in feature and especially people who historically have not had um, a mic who are not typically listened to. I mean, there's a lot of marginalized communities. We do not hear mm-hmm. enough of LGBTQ yep. folks, people, you know, bra- black and brown people, undocumented. I mean, there's populations in this country that experience abuse at much, much higher rates. Yes. So we're particularly interested in hearing from those people and we want to give them center stage because we we need to hear those stories and we need to support those survivors. So, and they need that validation. Yes, absolutely. Because that often they're they okay. And they tell and they're not believed. So right. that opportunity is so important. So important. Well, okay. So we can find you at incestaware.org. Is that the main place you want them to go or San or? Yeah. If people are interested, if, if you're an advocate and you want to connect with others, we're on Facebook at the Sexual Assault Advocacy Network. Um, and then that website is San Community, which is S-A-A-N, sancommunity.org. 
And then if people want to reach out to me personally, I have my own website, which is Suzanne Isaza, which is with an I, not an E, Suzanne Isaza.com. But you'll, if you click into one of those places, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will definitely put the incest aware and the sand on there, and then they can find you on Facebook. If you want to send me that link, Suzanne, I'll put that on there too. Um, I've had so much fun having you on here today. I wish, like I said, I could talk forever with you. And we'll have to have you back. Yes, love to come back. Definitely, definitely. So um, we'll have them go to Incest Aware and to San. And is there one last word, one last thing you would like to share with survivors that might give them um, some hope? I would say you are worthy. You are worthy. You know, get up every morning, look into the mirror as much as you hate your face or you don't like what you see. Look into your eyes and say, I'm worthy. I love myself. I deserve to be here. Um, And I think that message we don't often hear, especially not from abusers. And so I, I think that's one of the messages we can tell ourselves and tell others. And it really, wow, what a difference. Even just sitting here now saying that, a sense of relaxation, a sense of I'm okay um, as I am. Yeah. So you're okay as you are, you're worthy and you deserve it. Love yourself. Yeah. Be okay. Love yourself. You know, and I think forgiveness is um, a big, important step to self-forgiveness. And what I like to tell survivors is, you know, we've all made bad choices, whether we're survivors or not. That doesn't make us bad people. Bad choices doesn't make us bad people. It just teaches us how to do better things. So, Suzanne, love having you on here today. I want to keep in touch with you. I want to be a guest blogger on your incestaware.org. I'm going to join your group. Please join my group at Sir Thrivers Unleashed, and we will put this podcast on the platform. We are on iTunes and Amazon.com, Spotify, Stitcher, and I will put the video up on YouTube as well. So thank you for being here today. I hope you had fun. Oh, I did. I did. Yeah, you're a great host and we talked about so many important things. So it's totally my pleasure. I'll come back anytime. And yes, I want you as a blogger. Yes. Yay. Yay. (laughs) All right. Good. Well, thank you. And listener, thank you for tuning in today. And until next time, I wish you peace, love, and ciao for now.